2: What a what a a goal!
1: A Arsenal finally found a way to sign a centre-back without destroying him. Don't bring him to the club at all. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Gunner. and we have a signing! do 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 That's right. It's a signing. It's a player. He plays in a position we need. He's considered to be very talented, and he will play for Arsenal in 2021. That's right. We're loaning him out. He's not coming. He's not coming at all. And that means we can't destroy him. We can't ruin him. It's a wonderful thing. He doesn't have to play next to Mustafi. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fact that Ivan Gazidis was right... You heard it here first on the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. It's Tim's idea. It's Clive's idea. It's Paul's idea. <laughs> Ivan Gazidis was right. We can compete with the likes of Bayern Munich. We proved it in Los Angeles. We'll talk about that. We will talk about. We care. Do you? Because we do care. Do you? Because we care. Do you? We anyway. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at pause my pants. Hello pause. Clive's on Twitter at clivepafc. Hello Clive. Hello hello. And the man, the myth, the legend. Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello Tim. Hello there. Hello there! Indeed, loved your article about uh, we care do you about the the fan statement. I thought it was excellent. It's on our blog. You should read it if you haven't. I have an article about Lauren Koscielny out on the Athletic. I am uh, now uh, part of the ninety eight percent of people on the planet that work for the Athletic. So I am I'm very proud for that honor. Um, in case you missed it, posted a photo journal, video journal on Patreon uh, of the trip to LA, and Scott is out in LA as well. We'll do some more with that. But uh, if you want to check that out, you can. But let's get started. All right. Tim, we have Mm. signed a player. I think, we just did an awesome podcast with Alex from Tifo Football, who you recommended to us, which I really appreciate. And he went into Saliba in some depth. We've also heard about Saliba from other guests on the pod. Rather than us diving into him as a player, because I think it's been done, I'm more curious to get your sense on the decision to spend a decent wedge on a Mm. future talent who cannot come into the club and help us right now.
3: Uh, I'm glad you're not going to ask me about him as a player because I hadn't heard of him until <laughs> three weeks ago. So, um, yeah, I do, just as a, as a real sidetrack to that. I, I agree. I did this, a uh podcast about argentinian football um last weekend we you know which is absolutely fine they were like yeah we're going to talk about copper america great watched all their games going to talk about the women's world cup great watched all their games and then while we were on air they were like oh we're going to talk about the under 20 world cup as well and i was like (laughs) okay (laughs) i was like when was that? <laughs> I'm guessing no you elect. came across about as knowledgeable about that as I do on anything on this podcast. So welcome to my <laughs> world, my friend. So, so yeah. Uh, anyway, I'd heard of one of the players, and I, I let's say I lent into that um, on on Saliba in terms of like um, you know buying a player and lo- loaning them back. So yes, we do need a centre back. Um, that doesn't mean we, that we don't need Saliba or what we think he's going to be. I think you can separate out. Oh my god, we need a good centre back and this guy is going to be a really good centre back, we think, in another two years, so let's get him now. Um Frankly, short termism is what we've been doing in the transfer market for the last two and a half years, and look where that's got us. So basically I, I'm quite nowhere. Relaxed. Sorry, was I supposed to chime <laughs> yeah. in with nowhere? Okay, guys. No, that was that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Basically, Arsenal's um, transfer policy has to change in the long term, and that has to be a long-term thing. So yes, we do need a centre-back, but if there's an 18-year-old centre-back we think is going to be really, really good, then yeah, we should absolutely go for him. We we need to get back into doing that, into picking up these. And I know 30 million is quite a lot, but picking up these kind of before they were famous types. And this is the thing when you sign that type of player... You either have to loan them back, or you have to um, understand that they're not going to be ready straight away. Like like Martinelli, you know, there there is no way that he is going to you know tear it up against Newcastle on on August the 11th. That's just not going to happen. Um, but what you want is in a couple of years for him to be very good, and a couple of years for Saliba to be very good. And we we need to start doing that again because we stopped doing it, and we need to start thinking long term again. And and like I said, I think that's also just the price you pay for picking up the players before they're out of your reach. You have to take a bit of pain, whether that's whether you loan that pain back to St Etienne or whoever, or can, whether you just absorb it. Can we loan it to Spurs? Just it. the pain,
1: not the player, just the pain. <laughs>
3: but, I mean, I'm I'm sure that could have been an option. <laughs> um, but you know, you you've got to you you. Because it's not an ideal world, right? That's the whole point in having a transfer policy where you pick up players before they're famous. It's because you're in a position where you can't get them when they are. So you you don't exist in the ideal world. Arsenal are very far away from the ideal world at the moment. We were never really in it, but now we're a lot further away. And so you've got to do that. You've got to take some pain, whether that's developing players, getting less than ideal deals. Um, you know, we saw it with the whole Project Youth thing. We put them all on long contracts, you know, to try and future-proof the team, and it didn't work. It ended up, you know kind of um, handicapping us a little bit. But, you know, that it's. we've all said, like most of us as Arsenal fans have said, this is what we need to be doing. Well, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when the meat is made, um, you know, and it's not all pretty and it's not, oh, we've just signed like an 18-year-old and he's immediately ready to come into the team and change our fortunes. That's not how it happens. So if you want that and you think Arsenal should do that, and they should, then you've got to sacrifice that little bit of excitement when you get the player because, you know, if they were exciting immediately, they wouldn't be coming to Arsenal. So personally, I'm very relaxed about it. It seems like there were there was a lot of competition, um, you know, for his signature and not just from Spurs. And, uh, and I think it's a really positive thing that, you know, a really highly rated 18-year-old centre-back who had other choices... Still chose to come to Arsenal, and maybe, maybe, you know, our brand's very damaged at the moment. Um, you know, I I said in my column this week. Look at look at the shit we used to sell to Barcelona, (laughs) and and Barcelona are not coming knocking for our players anymore. They're going to Liverpool, and look at Spurs. Spurs just sold Kieran Trippier to to Atletico Madrid, like one of the best defensive teams in the world because their brand is strong at the moment, and so clubs think, Ah, Spurs, yeah, I'll buy from them. Atletico Madrid aren't coming for any of our players, let alone our defenders because our brand is damaged and i'm i really really hope that getting someone like saliba is just like maybe just this little distant kind of Yeah, Arsenal are quite good with young French players, aren't they? And even Gendouzi, Mm. like a fairly recent example, there's someone Saliba can look at and go, yeah, he got got in the team pretty quickly because he showed he was good. And if I can do that, then I know I'm going to get in the team. And this is the kind of reputation we have to recreate for ourselves that we used to have that we've lost.
1: Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, look, if William Saliba was an 18, 19-year-old central defender who was ready to play in our first team right now. His name would be Matthias Delight, and he'd be playing for Juventus, right? Like, that's yeah. what it boils down to. You know, that 19-year-old is going to Juventus in a big-money move to start in central defense for them. Saliba's not that, and that's why we're able to get him. But that's fine if he turns into that, if he becomes that player. Uh, Clive, just as far as this move goes, I mean, it doesn't solve our central defensive issues. So, Presumably, we still have to go out and find one. Would you have preferred for us to have paid more if it would have allowed us to access this player now? Or are you happier with him learning away from the club, even if it means we have to go out and spend on a more immediate option?
2: I think um, I'm happy for him to be away. I don't know, I've watched all the videos and I can see there's a, there's a massive talent there. And, but then just think about it positionally. He's a right center half a little bit of time at right back very strong very powerful drives out of his spot can drive out from defense regain retain keeps the ball moves it wins his jewels potential is high got natural composure physically wonderful okay needs more experience needs to play needs to make mistakes that don't kill him come to the Premiership at 18, you make a mistake, mate, and the Premiership, uh, half a billion people see it immediately. Don't worry. Play at an and do those mistakes for them. I, I get it. I really do. So what do we do? I've said for a little while now, I really think we need to be looking at a centre-half to come into our team. But yet, yeah, for me, it has to be a left centre-half. So we should be buying a first-team defender, place on the left-hand side. I and mean, if it was me, it would be a left-footed defender. And I think because Socrates he's becoming slightly older, he can play right and left. Um, I'd like to see Rob Holding move to the right-hand side and and be one of those. I know he can also play right and left. Koscielny, we know, is in departure lounge. He plays left-centre half for us. And Mustafi just runs about at the back line, and we're not sure what he actually is. So I think Comic we relief. need to find. We need to. I, I really do think we need to be buying a first 11 left-side centre-half. I do think Khashoggi will go. And that should be a player that plays with Socrates now. But also with an eye to the future, as when we develop those right centre-halves, we have three or four very good players that we can then put into our defensive unit, which allows us to play a three when we need to. Um, especially, we've got a left footed centre half in there because Monreal, uh, for me, that job is done. And also allows us to play a, a back four and rotate and still allow these younger centre halves to develop without the glare of having to play every single minute of every single game. So, I'm hoping that is the plan. So, if you buy a centre half, it's got to be a left centre-half. It's got to be a left-footed centre-half, in my opinion, that can play dry, but also play in the back two and, and the back three. If we do that, now that's smart planning because the future right centre-half we've already bought. So in you know, in, in a year and a half's time, 18 months' time, we can have a completely constructed new back four, which is more useful, dynamic, much better in duels, physically more able to defend... Offer some security, which just by pure presence. But that left center half I don't know who it's going to be. And um, it would be interesting to see if the club think the same way. And because that other signing, I think they seem to be freezing on it. And hence why the Ciccielny situation has, has developed. I think they wanted to defer it and, and basically mix and match what we've already got. If we do that, we're going to get exactly the same things we got last year. Because they are, they're all shame frailties. So... That's what I'm hoping for. A left side center half with a left foot is really comfortable there that we can use for a future First eleven partner for either Saliba or Holding as we go forward.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the question is, will that happen? Will we find that in the club or out of the club? And Paul, I mean, is it possible, you know, sometimes we think of things so linearly, right? Like we we get very focused on a way of viewing things and sometimes you just have to change the prism. And with Koscielny maybe now leaving and with Bielek being told he's not in the plans and wanting out and with Saliba being loaned back, I mean, bit by bit, is it possible that the club's perspective is central defense can't be your weakness if you don't have any central defenders? Um, Do you think that we've maybe misjudged this here? that that's really the plan? No, I mean, all kidding aside right now, everybody thinks we need a central defender, but if you're the club, you're in a bit of a tricky situation, because if Koscielny does stay, and I mean, that's a big if right now, and we can address that maybe a little bit, but if he does stay, you have Chambers back at the club, presumably to play some role in central defense, holding, looks like he's pretty close to being back and ready to play, Koscielny, Socrates, and Mustafi. So that's five central defenders who will all you know, expect to get some playing time, uh, not to mention maybe you throw a kid in there in the League Cup and maybe Nacho Monreal can play there a little bit. So is it the reality that while we may not have any of the quality we want in central defense, any of the reliability, that the sheer number of central defenders that are at the club makes it tricky to just bring another one in if you can't move any of those others?
4: Yeah, we're so poor at selling. Um, at the, I mean, it's it's unfathomable. I mean, five is a
1: decent right. I mean, you have five central yeah. defenders who all would expect to get some first team action. If you bring in another and you have six and you can't move any of the other guys, what do you do?
4: Yeah, I mean, we haven't sold anybody. We we must be looking to move Al Nani on as just an example, and yet he's he seems very comfy right at the moment. Um, and we have players, young players, lining up to to, uh, take his spot. Um, you know, the, the weird thing is probably the most saleable guy in our team, um, who's not a superstar is chambers. And, uh, he might be getting pulled back into the mix with our inability to find, I mean, there aren't even good rumors about center backs at the moment. Um, so it's, it is, that's the most puzzling position. We have, we have, we have at least good rumors or uh, a strong thread of of uh, behaviour on each of the other positions uh, in the team where we're crying out for help. Um, so it's going to be interesting how they pull. It. May, maybe they're going to look for uh, n- not Johnny Evans, but a Johnny Evans type solid signing for centre back. Um, as the window progresses because they don't seem to have that exciting move going on and there probably isn't much budget left for a big exciting centre-back move. Maybe we're just going to try and live with a very average centre-back pairing and try, try and do it through strengthening the fullback options, the midfield, and an exciting attack, which would make for a very exciting mm. season. And I guess yeah. we weren't that far off. You could argue we weren't that far off last mm. year, given a very average midfield, very underperforming attack in many ways, That uh, and going about half a season without uh, full-backs, who could give us width on both sides. So it wouldn't take a lot to make us a lot better without improving the center backs. Sorry to say that to anybody. Maybe we just, we're going to make it up in volume at the center back position. I don't know. It's scary.
1: Mm. It's the age old expression, isn't it, Paul? If it's broke, don't fix it. Um, Yeah, exactly. So Tim, how, uh, how do you like a a. 4am kickoff, buddy? (laughs) You like that? Um,
3: um i don't know i don't think i've ever experienced one uh uh-huh. so, d- so i didn't experience one so, so last don't, night. Go, <laughs> don't
1: go to you first about the bayern game then
3: <laughs> um if i tell you i've seen a gif of the eddie and Ketia goal and nothing <laughs> would, else would, would, would you be telling the truth would, would that would, would that make my analysis any less worthwhile tim likes you, his sleep you know what
1: did did you watch any of the rapids game <laughs> <laughs> nope, no, uh, no, no. All right. All right. No. I, didn't, I didn't even watch a GIF. Of that. Nice. Jeez. Dedication. I'm going to come back to you, Tim. I have stuff that I think you can answer about. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll stay with you for one second since I already had you up in the lineup here. Um, and then we'll, we'll go to Clive for the uh, more erudite and astute analysis of the game. And then we'll go to Paul for comic relief. So, Tim, um, the Everton rumors are persisting a little bit. And there were some rumors that we'd sent people over there for – a medical, uh, not the club. We're not buying the club. I want to reiterate, it's the player from Brazil. Again, I don't know if any of these sources are reliable, but the rumors aren't going away. Do you just still want to pour cold water on that, or are you starting to be swayed into the idea that it, that it could be on the cards?
3: Um, I, d- I don't really know. There's, there's nothing. You're right. Like it's persistent. But there's there's nothing I've seen that's super reliable. There's nothing I've seen from any of the journalists I trust in Brazil, and some of the information, like we haven't made a bid, but we've sent loads of doctors out to Brazil, even though we're in America, to do a medical before we bid for the player. Like what, the f- like what? That? That's w- would obviously. Would you put anything past us,
1: Tim? <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> I mean that's
3: that's obviously like why would why in in what universe has this ever happened that we do the medical before we do the bid and we fly the doctors out to him to 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 be fair had we
1: done that with players like kalstrom and and suarez maybe we would have been in a better shape but you know that's just me what do i know
3: well yeah yeah like the idea that you know, uh, yeah, no, and and besides which, he uh, he played for Grêmio last night. Um, just a couple of hours before the four a.m. kickoff, nice. uh, he was playing in the Copa do Brasil for for Grêmio. But I mean, you're didn't
4: right. Watched that like... one, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I, <about> <laughs> I I did not. No,
3: oh, okay. um, but. Um, yeah, with 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 Everton, like I really want it to be true because he's exactly the sort of player we need. Um, and you know, let's not mince words. I'd get a lot of work out of it when we sign Brazilian players. Um, but no, no, he he's like he's exactly what I think we need, and, and there'd be an element of gamble because of South American players coming over, and he is playing for Grêmio, so that's like a that's a big um, a, a a big kind of jump. But um, I uh, but the main reason really to want to sign him is that his nickname is Cebolinha, which means little onion, um, hmm. uh, because he looks like an onion, um, <laughs> and uh, he's not pretty. Uh, no, no, no. He look, he looks like a skin on onion, well, but but also there's a, like there's a Brazilian you know? cartoon character called Cebolinha and he looks a bit like him. But I to, I want a player who is called Little Onion. To be fair,
1: he'll fit right in at Arsenal, where there are many layers to the club, and all of them will make you cry. <laughs> um. All right, Clive, let's try this again. How did you like the four a.m. kickoff, buddy? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I yes. did awaken. Woo-hoo. I did wake up. And, um, <laughs> the first thing I saw was some tweets from Andrew, sort of live tweeting the game. So I replied to oh, him. Oh, you
1: Do you follow Yankee Gunner on Twitter? He had some live tweets of the game.
2: Uh, no, no, I didn't see that, you actually. I just I just saw that one. You've got me muted. I just saw that. Really? <laughs> no, 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 just so I, I replied. Of course, if you reply to Andrew, you get about four million replies, don't you? Right. So, um, so yeah, it, I was up watching the game, tweeting the game, and um, yeah, it's quite enjoyable. It was really enjoyable. I thought we um, were quite, um, quite sharp and bright in the first half, four-two-three-one shape. I must admit, I walked away with a couple of a couple of great themes, right? But. I thought we were sharp. I thought we looked competitive, which I thought we would do. Given the fact that our season starts a week sooner than theirs, we were just slightly ahead. It's interesting the substitution strategies of both teams were slightly different based on the schedule they actually have to have. So I saw used their youth to start the first game and brought on the experience for the last 20. In this game, they used their experienced players to start the game and then brought on their youth for the last 20. And I think it was the youth players that really uh, gave us the energy to sort of take the game away from Bayern. I thought the way they use their half time substitutions caused some of our players problems who were tired after half time when you go in when you're not fit pre season. You come out after half time, you can't feel your legs. And suddenly for four Maitland Niles, they bring on Kings- Kingsley Coman and <laughs> you got somebody who's like a bully out of a gun running at you, completely fresh. And um, of course people have now concluded that Maitland Niles is a rubbish player without looking at the whole the wider context. So um So I I thought the game was good, and I thought we were bright. What what did I walk away with? I'll tell you what I walked away with, and I'm going to say something you're going to like. Oh,
1: that'll make a nice change.
2: Uh, Yeah, thank (laughs) you. I walked away with um, Aubameyang. Oh, he's so good. He he is some player. He's
4: on fire for the second uh, game of the season, isn't he?
2: Some player, but more importantly, what a professional. He has come back. Absolutely razor sharp. There are some people you worry about their age. I don't worry about his age. I worry about keeping him. I really think he's that good, and I'm starting to think as we head towards a four-two-three-one permanently. Potentially, we don't know, but that's the that's the rumors. I'm I'm not sure, right? So that
1: he should be the one uh, starting up front with Lacazette on the bench. Come oh, on, say it, Clive. It's on the tip of your tongue. Uh, just get there.
2: Well, <laughs> you know, football football is a. Uh, you know, it's a very simple game. We all, in uh, a lot of it's based on, you know, how you feel. I don't feel right watching him running up and down, chasing fullbacks. I don't like it. That is not the best use of resources with that amount of talent. I just think he's a, you know, I think he's a special player, a special athlete. He's in the prime of his career, and we best not mess it up. We well really must. Well said. Right? He
4: was magic we, on the counter, Tim. Tim, you won't have
1: it seen up. it and you obviously didn't even watch this gift, but at one point he drops all the way back into our uh, penalty area to defend. The ball comes to him, and he carries it all the way to the edge of their penalty area at light speed, running literally past every Bayern player who could not keep within a yard of him as they all tried to race back. Ball at his feet, right up the center of the pitch, lays it off beautifully to Ozil, who of course took an extra touch and then narrowed the angle and couldn't get the shot in. But I mean, that moment, he it's one of those moments where a player pops off you know, the, the pitch or the screen, depending on where you're watching, and you say, that player's better than all the other players. And he looked like that it all night long. He looked like that. He mm-hmm.
2: looked like a game you have at school. And there's one exactly. kid that's yep. a bit bigger and stronger than everybody else. But you know what? Who it did wasn't he sit on his ass? ass.
1: He sat someone on his ass. Yeah. Uh, was it Alaba? He broke Alaba's ankles with just a simple change of pace?
2: Yeah. It, it wasn't the fact that he was, you know, he's... A, you know, his, his speed compared to what it used to be a few years ago, he's not quite as dramatic. But what I am, or I like even more, is his application. It's how he's applying himself. He gets moved left and right and centre, and he just applies himself. He, Considering when we got him, we were told he had a bad attitude and he was a cancer in the dressing room and all the rest of it. What I see is a top professional, someone that looks after himself in the summer, unbelievably fit, unbelievably quick, great team player and he should score one, two goals every game and he he missed a side which he should have scored and that's the only issue I have with him. He could actually score ten more goals a season. He's an average finisher
1: and it obscures what is otherwise a transcendent player for some people who only see the
2: misses. Yeah, exactly. So he was one thing I walked away, if you don't mind. One last thing. Yeah, no, please go. And, you know, I saw some pre-season pictures of of Joe Willock and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go, you know, he just looked physically amazing. And um, this is the great thing about youth players. They can surprise you every now and again. We saw in the Europa League final what he did, so we can try to brush it off due because of the game state. We've seen some bright moments in the FA Cup, etc. But last night I think we saw a player that will be in the first team, first sixteen every single week. I just think he has grown significantly physically and again his desire to apply himself is huge he's played the 10 he's played in that he's played a part of the double pivot I do feel that we need two players to replace Ramsey we need somebody that can play deeper and somebody that can play higher potentially between Joe Willock and the loan signing in Danny Sabias to allow a bit more time for Smith-Rowe to develop, a bit more time for Reece Nelson to develop, I think we could find our, our Ramsey solution because this kid is just looking at everybody and saying, I'm coming for your shirts. He really is, and I love him, what I'm seeing. Mm. And I think he could be the breakout player of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of focus on Enkedia, who had a great cameo, but I thought Willick, from start to finish, was the young player who caught the eye the most. Obviously, he got the most playing time in that respect, but he was excellent. I mean, Paul, I, I think I'm at the point with the Aubameyang and Lacazette thing, and look, it is early, early preseason, and the only thing, the right thing, the best thing to do with early, early preseason is draw... Uh, concrete judgments that you adhere to for the duration right of the season. Yep. Um, it was a bad night for Lacazette. It just was. It was an off night. He, he didn't look up to it, and, and that can happen at this stage. But I'm nothing if not dedicated to confirmation bias. And for me, we look better with wide players. We look better with the back four. I don't know that there are a lot of teams that play with two up front, and I don't think Aubameyang, I, I got to agree with Clive. It just doesn't feel right watching him chase back on the wing. All those shuttle runs, all the bursting he does – I'd rather have him doing it in the final third in the opposition half than having to come all the way back. Um, Do you think that as good as Lacazette is, and he's a wonderful player, and I I am not slighting him, but that Aubameyang just is a level above and that maybe this season, in addition to switching to a back four, we should be looking for more opportunities to play Aubameyang as the lone striker?
4: Yeah, but I I, I see where you're going, but I'm not going to take the bait on this one because what I really liked on this was Aubameyang from the right. We saw him a lot from the left, especially kind of early to mid-season. And he's a magic player on the counter. And, uh, you know, Clive says he doesn't want to see the resource used in that sense. But, man, the guy can travel up and down the pitch. And we saw a couple of times uh, in, in in the league last year, Uh, And in key games, Yang putting himself on the line, chasing back to the corners and giving us that, whether it's from center forward or from the sides. he's just magic on the counter. And Ozil looked really up for this game. Uh, He had two great opportunities on the counter to put it away. It didn't quite take them, but at least he was in the box, right in the box taking shots and he was shot shy last year
1: he was so really was lo- involved he was very active yep mm-hmm.
4: he was and almost maybe because obama or because lacazette wasn't having a good game he was kind of dropping into that more functional role of setting up the other guys and springboarding them and Mikatarian was pretty average he was terrible uh, yeah. Hit, mm-hmm. yeah very hit and, well he wasn't totally terrible he was, he hit was terrible. And miss for mo no no he <laughs> was hit and miss for most of the game but then he did a few things that reminded you what he could be when he was good. I mean, he put that he floated that ball over to Aubameyang to to uh, hit basically hit on the volley, I think it was, and he did, had a few other neat moves. But mostly, yeah, he was rusty to terrible. But that could be a very interesting foursome if they hit their stride or with a Woby instead of Mkhitaryan. The four-two-three-one with those guys playing those roles. Um, is pretty enticing, and then you you see the switch to the youths in the second half, late in the second half, and you think in the Europa League you might actually just want to play those four young lads up front, uh, uh, Tyrese and Enketia work really well as a two with Saka and maybe Reese Nelson or Martinelli on the other side, rather than what we w- the cautious approach, which is play mostly. Uh, experienced forwards and one, maybe two of those. Th- those are are three or four guys now, who can really find each other. And I think we saw the same in the first half. I think think the other thing you can't dismiss from this game was the Bayern angle, because when you go through the team and see the number of either Bundesliga or Germany connections in the team for everybody, you know, you had Leno, Mustafi, Socrates, uh, Ozil, Aubameyang, et cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, yeah, all through the team and uh, Rhys Nelson, but but certainly in the senior players, established players, you know, the, 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 there was maybe a reason they were quite that switched on for that game. That was a that was way more than just a chance to play Bayern or a preseason game or any other narrative. Uh, there's a lot of people with maybe a chip on their shoulder that they got shunned, overlooked, or at least that the world of Germany uh and beyond will have the spotlight on them to see how their shitty Arsenal careers are going mm. and they wanted to put on a performance you know they did not want to look like uh, chop liver in that first half and uh, the young guys came on and bailed everybody out with the win in the in the second half so that i think there's more it, there was much more to us beating them 2-1 than say if we'd pulled off the same trick against a real yeah. or a PSG or somebody i think that might have been a big game
1: yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it was it was great to see. The other thing that we should be careful of, and this is why I think saying Aubameyang looked great on the right is a conclusion we can just adhere to, is that you are playing a big club in Bayern, not as big as Arsenal, but a big club. And uh, they're playing a high line, and they're pressing more, and they want to have more possession, and there was a lot of space to run into. I mean, at one point, it was a simple straight long ball over the top where Aubameyang wasn't even marked, and he just ran into acres of space in the right half space and, and was in. Um, you know, that's not yep. going to happen against yep. Newcastle and stuff like that. And where I want him is on the end of those moves with the the cutbacks that are whipped in, you know, and, and I, I know it's become a meme and a joke, but those are dangerous moves. And he has a preternatural ability to arrive in the right space in the box that's limited if he's out wide. And those explosive runs are limited if he has to chase back constantly. I also don't think he's a great possession passer. So maybe maybe him on the right... Would Laka up front for the big games works? I'm not sure it works against the smaller teams. Tim, certainly having not watched the game, I think you can still weigh in on this. Um, you know, mm. Take take my word for it. Yang was uh, scintillating. at mm. less so. I mean, do you, of the things you'd like to see this season, is Yang getting more chances to start up front by himself among them? But-
2: can I can I say something for your answer too? Oh, you? uh, Fre- is your name? Yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I don't want, I
2: don't want, I don't want uh, Elliot to say. Yeah, let's just remember it's preseason, season right? And Lacazette looked like he'd been on the beach and he hadn't quite got his legs together, and Lacazette has been outstanding for us. I don't want people thinking that we're concluding on him because he was not in as good a physical shape as a Bamiang, and it's, it showed. And the next game, he could be in different shapes. I just, want to, sure. I just think we should just say that. But,
1: I mean, let, let's be clear, right? If you have a player who is very, very good, and then you have a player who is transcendently good, Saying that the transcendently good player is better is not a knock on the very, very good player, right? So, like, I am uh, not— The
2: word transcendently is your opinion, and some people— right, —and fans right. have voted that Lacazette was the main player last year for all, all the things that he did. I'm just saying they're great together, right? I just think it's going to be interesting to see how we dovetail them, and I think you're going to go sure. exactly— And, too, and
1: look, so. I, I guess the other point we can make is maybe you like Lacazette better than Aubameyang, maybe you don't. I don't think anyone can suggest that towards the tail end of the season we were playing a back three with two up front that our team looked fluid and coherent and was working right. So whether you want that striker to be Lacazette with Aubameyang on the wing or Aubameyang with maybe Lacazette as a rotational option, I just don't think the two up front towards the end of the year was getting the most out of the team, especially with a back three. So, I mean, Tim, uh, now that I have the option of giving you this same question that I had just asked you, <laughs> um, is that something that you'd like to see, or do you, like, Clive, want to shut me down, tell me to uh, get off the podcast, and that my opinions are
3: wrong? So I, a, a lot of it depends on who, if anyone, we sign in one of the like the other wide forward um, roles, because I, I kind of liked the idea of a Bamiyang on the right if we were going to play him out wide at all, rather than the left last season, because you know on the left we had usually a Wobi who's like a bit of a ball carrier. Um, kind of a creative water carrier there. And, you know, all the, all the build-up was on the left. You've got Xhaka's left-footed, Ozil's left-footed, Kolasinac goes down that side. And so all of our build-up is quite left-sided bias, particularly when um, when Bellerin got injured. And so I, I kind of liked the idea of just having a Bamiang, a bit like Walcott you know, used to just like, don't get me involved in the build-up, not interested in that, I'll come in on the back post uh, when you guys have finished doing your free-form jazz and all of that. A, a lot of it just depends on who we get in a wide-forward role. I mean, if we get someone like, I don't know, Zaha or Everton, then, you know, the the need for someone like a Bamiang out wide just, just isn't there because the likes of Zaha, Everton, like whoever... Um, we get there if they're like um, you know a cut in and shoot type then I think you need to balance that out with maybe a little bit more creativity on the right and maybe uh, Mkhitaryan um, begins to look better um, in that kind of shape I I'm I'm not massively hung up about it because I first of all I think we'll need to do both and all of those things at certain points during the season also i, I think it's slightly complicated um, and i think emery feels this complication as well in that the t- the team is kind of so weak and abamyang and laka are clearly two of the strong points mm. whether they actually fit together is another question and maybe they don't but the rest of the team is just not at that level and therefore getting them both on the pitch, it you know, like if you get if you put a Bamiyang through the middle and you get a Bamiang at ninety percent, that's great. But if you put him out wide and you get a Bamiyang at eighty percent, that's really good. And Lacazette at eighty percent, then those two together, you know, it's it's more than the sum of its parts. So I think it's a slightly more complicated equation than that at the moment with what we've got but a lot of that will depend on like I say who we sign whether someone like Reese Nelson makes an impression again if Reese Nelson was able to and I'm, I'm cautious about you know saying oh he'll be like a starting 11 player and score 10 to 15 goals next season I, I don't think he will but he's that kind of type almost not quite a Theo type but you know more of a you, you get wide forwards that are like um creative players and you get wide players that are scorers. And if we get a scorer, then yes, I I think I'd prefer to see a Bamiyang down the middle Um, and, you know, have him and Lacazette effectively fight out another place or, 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 you know, a bit of rotation or whatever. But I I think at the moment it's, it's possibly not quite that straightforward. And you could say, you know, a Bamiyang spent most of last season out wide, even when we did the two up front, he hovered wide a lot, um, particularly towards the end of the season over towards the right hand side because we'd lost Bellerin and we didn't really have anyone there and And he scored 30 goals. So, you know, maybe if you're playing through the, the centre every game, you get 35 goals, but 30 goals from largely out wide is is quite good. So um uh, yeah it's it's there's quite a lot going on here um and i think a lot of it will just depend on who and what we have um at newcastle away
1: yeah that's well said comprehensively handled and clive i am going to come back to you we can settle our differences um i I think (laughs) i'm cool (laughs) i I am seething no i'm kidding uh (laughs) incandescent with rage as they say uh so look I, I think the uh, the other thing, that, and by the way, one last word about the Aubameyang-Lacazette thing. I mean, they moved around the pitch quite a bit. There was some fluidity to their positioning. I think off the ball, sometimes they actually both split and Ozil sort of slotted in between them. Um, what was interesting for me about the Ozil role is he was kind of aping some of the Ramsey runs. Often he was making the deepest run and arriving in the box on the end of moves which is really interesting um, because there was sort of a question last season of who was going to do that if not Ramsey, and Ozil was doing that uh, on many occasions throughout the night. We've touched on Willick, who I thought was excellent. I want to quickly ask you about Willick and then Nketiah. So first about Willick. I, I thought Shaka was fine in this game. I think Shaka's a perfectly fine player, but I would love to see more mobility and athleticism and strength in the midfield. Um, you know, with Between Willick and Guendouzi and Torreira, you have guys that can get up and down the pitch who have a little bit better... Um, ability to carry the ball maybe just a little bit more versatile in general so I mean I was really really impressed with Willa. could you see him and Ganduzi and Torreira playing more of a role in a midfield three and more partnerships together and Shaka being made a little bit more peripheral or is that wish casting on my part <laughs> Or, or, or have maybe you are incandescent with rage. Clive, have you left the podcast? Cl- oh, sorry. I'm still I probably sure.
4: tweeting on I
1: Twitter. I said, I'm, com- I I said sure. I'm coming back to you, Clive. Oh, I was trying to bury actually, the hatchet. And now okay. the hatchet is now, back. I, I, I think uh,
2: systemically, you know, we have our preferences on systems. And I don't dismiss the back three, particularly with our three-star hotels in the back. So don't think that's gone yet, Elliot. Um, I think we're going to still mix and match as we go through the season. I I would like to see a a midfield three with three forwards, uh, similar style to what Liverpool do, for example. I I quite like that. And but do you
1: ex- do you expect Ed, that Shaka to be ever present in that? Or I mean, is there a possibility that that Emery now has options?
2: I I I am pleased that the dynamic of the team that we've watched in a couple of games looks better, and a lot of that is down to the number of youth players that are close to the group we have a number of younger players that are making the team look more dynamic and it's Mm the it's the biggest thing for me can we change the dynamic of the group can we up the intensity and the speed by which we play at and i i think will it the reason why we all our eyes are drawn to him is because he's offering some of those things we know we lack and then we immediately then refer back to the one guy that may not be so dynamic and then we say well actually do we need you we probably do need him for one more year as his team is, is working itself out we do need him he could easily be our captain I keep saying that but he could easily be the captain and that's become even more relevant based on what's happened in the last week or so so yes and I thought he showed I think he played 90 minutes last night didn't he mm-hmm. he, he showed well you know what I'm here I'm here to play and I'm, I want to lead this team I think he, what he lacks in foot speed and sometimes brain power under pressure, he's definitely got the leadership gene. And it looks to me like he wants to be Arsenal captain. He wants to lead this team. And unlike some of the captains that we've had that have been given the jobs for different reasons, I'm all right with that. So the player, we can debate him. And when he makes a mistake, we all hate him. When he plays well, we love him. Is he in the future for me? No. Do we need him for one more year? I think we do. And he's secure. We need him and I think eventually end up in another league um, playing his career. But he offers a lot of leadership in that central area of the pitch where we do have a number of young players still. I just think we need him to hold their hands for a little bit longer. But the, the problem is, although Urza was... Excellent off the ball last night. Mimicking the, some of the things that Ramsey does really well. Running down sides, not just waiting for the ball to come to feet and passing square. He was very proactive off the ball, which emptied out the space and gave us targets to pass to. And guess what? Our midfielders look better when they got running targets ahead of them. And we had at least two to three running targets at all points. And and Ozil looks great with those shapes to run into. So someone's had a word with him. And say be more proactive. Once you got Urzal running, then people like Shaka who need targets, they look better because the runners are there. When he starts to freeze, when the pictures are gone, he gets dispossessed, and we all know what happens when people go behind him. He grabs, he fouls, he gets sent off, he gets booked, he gets penalties. And that's where his his game is not quite complete. So yeah, the dynamic needs to change, Elliot. Part of that is happening with the youth players that are bringing on board. I just feel practically that Shackles has got one more year at Arsenal to help carry hold some hands through the period of transition. Mm.
1: Well, and I mean, maybe maybe Danny Ceballos. I mean, do you think that that's a player that could come in and hasten that transition? I mean, it would just be alone. But again, that's a player who can carry the ball. He's not necessarily a final third player, but yep. more, more of what Willick was doing last night. I mean, would that be someone that you'd be excited to see Add some of that drive and dynamism the midfield for us.
2: Absolutely, and it's something that we've mentioned on the podcast a while ago. It's just something I sometimes get—I I go t- too much on the physical side of things. And um, and Tim just reminded me one podcast that we our, our technical security has gone down. And I looked at Sebias and the way he manipulates the ball. What we've missed. And Urzul's not doesn't manipulate like he used to. He showed some great separation last night. Mkhitaryan is more work a day. Iwobi's still familiar to finding himself having that real dynamic creator that really is secure on the ball. We had loads of them. I'm just watching a video of Alex Cleb. We had loads of these players. Ricky, we just had loads of them. You, hey, just real quick.
1: So uh, next time when I'm asking you a question, if you're not watching a video of Alex Klebb, it, then you, <laughs> might, you might hear the question. But, you know, hey, <laughs> he, what do I know? He's
4: also tweeting on Twitter. That's where you tweet, it,
1: yeah, Paul. That's, well, that's where well, the
2: tweets go Nick, every time. You know, it, it, just, it, just, it just flashed up an old video of Klebb. It just reminded me of the players that we used to have. And but basically – this guy is like that. The way he sees it, moves it around the corner, get it back. That's Arsenal football. And people talk about style-wise that we've we've changed. But we haven't got players like that anymore. So, of course, we've got to change style-wise. I'd like to see this player come in. And that allows Willock and Smithrow just a little bit more time to develop. It may allow them to go on loan. He then goes away and then we have a player ready to play.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. All right, uh, Paul, if you're not tweeting on Twitter, you want to add on Ceballos before I ask you about kids, and then we can move on?
4: Yeah, just a little bit. I think a year of Ceballos, say he pans out the way we pray and hope he does, and he's this box-to-box, complete uh, midfielder, uh, progressive runs, passing, good under pressure, blah, blah, blah. He basically, he's kind of like, he would allow us to break the leg and reset it in terms of what our midfield looks like to kind of, Break this situation we've been we've been in since Santi, where we can never find a, a pairing good enough uh, that you could play against strong and weak teams with him. And we would say by November, December, we're like we've rebuilt our midfield and rebuilt what Arsenal is. Like if we're getting the vibe that he's not going to sign for us next year, and uh, and that's you know that's the very probable outcome it sets a template for what we need to do over the next six months to find that player that fits in there. Now, there's not many of them, but at least if your organization is lined up and if suddenly Stan Cranky and Josh Cranky's life have become oh so much easier because Arsenal is a free-flowing, functional team, I don't think our transfer budget is going to be the reason we don't go out and sign a player, if we can find one of that profile, because then we'll know what we need, and we'll have built a team and a structure and, around it. So I think he gets us a lot more than just one year mm. if he can help us reset the leg because we we just struggle and struggle. We ha- had this discussion on the last pod with uh, you know, what about this player or that player? And you can't get past the fact that probably Chaka is going to be uh, the man to start most games in midfield. It's just kind of the way it is because there's nobody else good enough to t- for us to build a midfield around. But Ceballos might be that guy. I I, I don't know him uh, particularly well. Just the research I did on him over the last few days. And, like, he's he's gobsmackingly good, not just from what you look at him, but from what's said about him and what how, how, people's profile of him. Respected people talking about his game. I mean, he's a potentially a- outstanding player. And would allow us to reach, it. and like a year in the Premier League would buy us a shitload. Uh, if it gets you back into the Champions League, from you know, there's there's Emery's side of things, right? If it if it uh, saves his tenure, um, there might be a lot of people. Who, who have mixed feelings about that one. But if it saves his tenure, if it gets Arsenal aligned from an executive standpoint to have the confidence to invest and move forward and find that player, or maybe make life very, very interesting to Real Madrid by giving them one hell of an offer for him, um, th- those are my hopes. Like It's a bit of a stretch, but if he can be that player, he might get us more than just one year of a lone player.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I I think I would absolutely be in favor of it because I think it adds something we need in midfield. I have to admit, I am starting to fall a little bit in love with what Joe Willick could be. It is mm. Joe, right? There were so many
4: yeah. Willicks. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Joe's that, the good one. You know, the I, good Willock.
1: I guess, yeah. The, the, I guess the issue that we keep butting up against him to some extent is we really believe we have some talent in these young players, and the question is do we have a coach who is committed to incorporating them? I mean, Mm. I know you didn't watch the match, but the starters went 80 minutes for the most part. Lacazette, 80 minutes. Aubameyang, 80 minutes. It wasn't hot in LA, but, you know, it's in the 70s Fahrenheit, which is, my rough math says, let's say 20, 20, 22 Celsius. Um, I hope I got that right. But, you know...
4: And they went hard,
1: too. Yeah, I mean, running hard, pressing up and down the pitch. I mean, what's your take on... Emery's use of the squad and the fact that in, in this really the first preseason game, which should be kind of a, a fitness tune-up, he's got Aubameyang and Lacazette out there, for example, for 80 minutes and Chaka playing 90.
3: Um, I mean, the first thing I'd say is I know absolutely nothing about periodization amen. Um,
1: yeah.
3: and stuff like that. What do you mean, I, amen? So... I
1: studied it for three years.
3: No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think on in that respect, I, I just don't have an opinion on it because I just don't know and um, there's an element here of just kind of trusting the people who do know about that stuff and, you know, I'm sure they won't be played for 80 minutes in all of the friendlies. As for, you know, the way the young players were integrated in this particular game, well, the Colorado Rapids game was basically entirely youngster, it was kind of the other way around. So all the youngsters got about 80 minutes and then, you know, the big guns came out for 10 minutes at the end and this one seemed to be the other way round. So that seems to me to be an element of pre-planning. And, and you know, we heard we heard all this last year, didn't we, when Emery was shiny and knew how he would got them doing double sessions. Like that wasn't something that just happens at every club in preseason. And, you know, they'd got, I, I went to watch them at Boreham Wood and they'd got a mini bus there because the players were playing 45 minutes and getting in the bus to Colney and doing like another session and, and all of that. And this, this, this is just, you know, obviously part of Emery's kind of preseason MO. Um, I, I do want to kind of comment on the on the Willock thing though. Um because I I've always quite liked the look of Joe Willock and I I think he you know I I don't want to go massively overboard because he hasn't played that often but even that first year he came in for those Europa League group games and he played a slightly deeper role I quite liked him. Um I th- I thought Yeah, there's a guy who doesn't look out of place here. He's not... Well said, that's exactly what it is. He looks like he fits right in already. Yeah, yeah. And when he was playing those Europa League games, not last season, the season before, and I just thought he kept things ticking over nicely. And I quite like that in a young player. I quite like that in a young player who doesn't try to do too much. I think that's a real sign of maturity. Um, But I, I kind of like... The idea of it, I think he'll get quite a few chances this season because, even with a signing, um, we're quite short in that position without Ramsey. You know, Özil is not available for about forty percent of our games, and I'm not that confident that that will change. And I'm not even sure I want that to change that much, to be quite honest with you. Um, And then you know we we bring in this new Spanish guy, and and but even then, that's that's not a whole load of competition. And, you know, with, with good young players, it, it's like any um, like really good career, like being, I don't know, in a band or an artist or something. A lot of it's about luck and being in the right place at the right time and all of that. And, and for young players, what they've got to think is, can I offer this team something it doesn't already have? That's how Iwobi became a first team player. Iwobi was never considered the most talented um, in Arsenal's academy at any point. It's just... He came to prominence at a time when he offered, and all the three years later still offers something that is just really missing in our squad. And I think that Willock can look at this season and say, right, Ramsey's gone. Even if you know, even if this guy does come in um, from Madrid, at the moment it's only a year on loan. But. There's not that much ahead of me. I can get not just Europa League games. I can get, you know, I can get on the bench. I can get Premier League games. And I I like, I think physically he's filled out a lot. Um, I think he's got a really, really nice touch um, and a, a really decent awareness about him on the ball as well. He's kind of, he doesn't look rushed. But he doesn't look Maitland-Niles not rushed, if that if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah.
4: Um, and, and, and Tim, can I just add in because you didn't see it? He that was the thing I was looking for in the Byron game. He absolutely looked like he belonged on the pitch, and for ten minutes Burton did at the end too. But I guess that was a, a different yeah. end of the game. But Willock look really looked like he belonged.
3: um, uh, Anam from Arsenal Column did like a little interesting thread on this. He pulled up some quotes from Emery last season where he was talking about the midfielders and he was saying, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like El Elneny is a four and he's kind of an eight and Jack is a four and he's kind of an eight and Gendouzi is a four and he's kind of an eight and he's got all these four eights. And then he was saying like, and you know, Ramsey's an eight who's a bit of a ten and and that was it. Like in, in that respect, he's got lots of sixes shall we say but not a lot of kind of eights that are t- and i think that's the kind of player he'd like and mm. you know I, I wrote something last week about potentially a wobi filling that role so not number 10 but more of that kind of obviously in a different way from ramsey but that like attacking number eight so you've got your double pivot and by the way i i I um I, i'd make a big priority this season leaning into Genduzi and torreira um, and trying to sideline Chaka um, as much as we can, quite frankly, because I, I just yep. I just don't think it really works. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, really leaning into that, Genduzi and Torreira. And then I think the part ahead of them is slightly interchangeable. So it can be um, the guy from Madrid whose name escapes Sabios Ceballos. Mm-hmm. Ceballos. Yeah, Ceballos. Um, or Ozil when, you know, when he wants to turn up or Joe Willock, like I think that part is interchangeable. Or maybe Alex I think, I will be at times. Yes, yeah, yeah, pretends. yeah, precisely. Uh, but I think we should try and fix that double pivot and try and like just lean into the Terrera Genduzi thing because, and just like Put up with some of Genduzzi's foibles um, for a year, because again, that's the pain you've got to take to develop players. And I, I, I have a sense that Genduzzi is kind of worth it in the long term. And I think that could be like a a good midfield double pivot for the next few years potentially. Um, but yeah, I basically I think Joe Willock's got an excellent chance of um, of of being like a a good first team squad player this season.
1: Yeah, and I mean look. What's the point of spending a decent chunk of money on Saliba and loaning him out and making that commitment to the future and then going into Europa League games and League Cup games and not giving time to Willick or Nelson or you know, or any of those guys? I I think absolutely it is clear we are building for the future, and while we have to play for now, there are plenty of games on our fixture list where these guys can play, and what we're just going to have to hope is that Emory's first season, which was about getting his message across and integrating his style of play, you know, although there's still some murkiness about that and, you know, sort of imparting his his wisdom and his vision on the players, in his second season, hopefully he will have the willingness to be a little more fast and loose with some of those games and get get playing time for those youngsters so we can start to build for that future. And Clive, as we move off this game, I just want to sort of touch on on a couple of quick hits. One is just the the... Star turn for Enkedia at the end of the game. You know, you were a big commenter about what we lost in Danny Welbeck last season. And Enkedia mm-hmm. had, a, had a cameo that reminded me a bit of him. Threw his body around, showed some burst, agent of chaos. At one point, he goes shoulder to shoulder with the defender, throws him five yards away. Unfortunately, it was a foul. Um, I don't think it was. It just called a foul. Nicholas Sule or Sule or whatever his name is, is six He's foot massive. four. And and Nketiah bodied rich. him. Six foot four, and he completely bullies him, gets on the ball, gets his shot away, and then winds up scoring a goal where he does the Yang thing and arrives right on time in, in a beautiful exchange with, uh, I think it was Tyrese John Jewell. So I, I just... I'm really impressed by this player. I know Paul was impressed with the, the cameo we had in, in the Rapids game as well.
4: Do you Adrian thi- Clark raved. I just listened to the, his commentary mm-hmm. for this game, and he raved about actually his performance in the um, in the Colorado game. Going to get you guys um, name
1: tags. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Clive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Stop being so uh, stroppy, you. Just get it out.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, uh, do, do you think that the Well Beckian role is, is something that Enkedia can step into this season?
2: Um, I, if I'm honest with you, I think he needs a full season somewhere. Um, I, I really do. I, I think. Can I just stop you and feel- ask
1: one question? What if it was six months at Arsenal to play Europa League group stage and League Cup oh, and that's second, what, that's and what second half
2: say. out? Yeah, that's, okay. So, that's exactly yeah. I was going to say, I think, you know, my views on why the, the younger players didn't play in Europa League last year. One, because they weren't ready, and, and two, because I think Emory wanted to t- let everyone know you play what I say. Yep. And I think it's much more of a, a squad bonding thing. This year, he's already committed to playing the younger players. So they are going to stay. They're going to play and they're going to have a significant responsibility on them in the first half of the season. And I hope he goes on knowing the second half of the season. I really do. I think he's got something. I must, I must admit, full disclosure, when he smashed the guy off the ball and ran towards the goal, I was looking at his foot placement, looking at his striper, and I thought, you're not going to score. And he didn't score. And I was just about to tweet. I'm losing confidence with him in front of goal. And it's not because he hasn't got a technique. It's not because he can't do it. It's not because he can't smell a goal and his move in the box isn't great. His movement, his, his ability to repeat sprints is just amazing. But when he gets into the box, he's just lacking that assuredness that comes from minutes and knowing you've done it. He needs to go somewhere and score. And I've got a feeling once he breaks the dam, we're going to find something really good. But he just needs a score. You think back to last year, how many flashing shots over the bar, just past the post. He just looks like an unlucky finisher at the moment. Once he gets that security thing, I've done it now. I can do this. I think we are got to find a level of player that maybe would could surprise us. So I'm hoping, first six months, stay with Arsenal, League Cup, Europa League, meets off the bench, January, get yourself out, mate. Go and play for a team, either going for promotion, where every point counts, and the crowd are after you. And it's for real. Go somewhere where it really matters, and um, and, and don't get yourself stuck in the under-23, because he's, he's way beyond that. He needs to be in the first teams now. It's really important that um, we look after his development. So that's what I hope that happens.
1: Yeah, well said. Look, I, I think we can move on from this game. Uh, we've got one more bit of business to get to here, but Paul, I... I I wonder sometimes with young players how moments arrive for them and it's a chance to set things on the right course. And I know it seems you're nitpicking at this point, or I should say I'm nitpicking because it's what I do. But, uh, you know, Nelson got on the end of a ball from Aubameyang, I believe it was, and he fluffed his lines. He had a chance to score. You know, these players don't get a lot of chances to impress their manager. He's a guy with big expectations and big promise attached to him it's a moment for him to get that goal get his preseason off and running and really take a step forward towards being a, a first team option for us in a position where we where we need it I mean, do you think that moments like that can be sliding door moments for players where they just the moment arrives for them it's a you know it's a chance it doesn't happen for them and and Maybe it, it sets him back. I, I know that's silly to say about the first preseason game, and maybe it's silly full stop. But do you think that Nelson is one of those players who has maybe the extra weight on his shoulders this preseason to to prove himself and break into the first team?
4: Yeah, uh, I I think it's definitely a, a, a true statement, the sliding doors. I mean, um, players' careers can be made with with basically a lucky break, being in the right place at the right time. The the one thing to say in his defense is, of all the youth players, he's the one who's basically had no minutes. I mean, he basically came on with, I think he came around the 70th minute mark. So he had a run of about 20 minutes here. And he was okay. He was not the most eye-catching of them all, but he didn't see a lot of service. And on, uh, I agree with you, it looked like he was set up to score there. But if you look at what Kimmich did on the goal uh i mean he, it was brilliant defending he totally spread himself to block it uh so i have a little bit of sympathy on that one he took a little bit of it, uh, a sl- a corrective touch a-, a slow touch to set himself up and gave kimmick the look to get back in um but you would hope he'd get a lot more minutes in preseason. and yeah you're right he needs to take them uh, you know of all our bright talents and he is really talented He's. Uh, I. I find myself a little out of phase with other supporters who with are that excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, with him. It, you know, I. I and I, I'm not one who's shy about overhyping a young player. God. God knows, but
2: I'm I with just, you, Paul, as well. By yeah, the way, I'm with
4: you. It, and it's. It's. It's the intangibles. I just don't get that sense that I would from an Eddie or a Smith Rowe or or whoever that even that the way just,
1: Saka explodes off the yeah. screen when you see yeah, him yeah. just the raw athleticism yeah
4: well that's it I mean Saka's nominally behind him and uh significantly younger less experienced but I just get a sense that Saka's for real the the other guys I mentioned are for real never quite sure with Nelson I, I certainly has the skills and the talent and all that but he hasn't he hasn't convinced, and I don't know that he brings the weight of personality to make something happen. I mean, you get a sense with somebody like Ainsley Maitland-Niles that he does and he doesn't have the mental uh, uh, component that goes along with his unbelievable physical and footballing attributes and skills, but... Uh, but, but he certainly has like about half of it, where you you know he's going to have a heck of a career somewhere. You just wanted to be here and you wanted to be soon. Um, with Nelson, I, I'm just not sure. So, but hey, he's still young. Uh, he can learn, and he hasn't really had the chances with us. So yeah. it's going to be a very interesting preseason. I know there's a whole bunch of people who really believe in him, um, but there's there's not too many tea leaves to pick through at this time. So going to be interesting preseason for him and for i thought i won't say a lot on john jules but i thought he was great and his combination with uh and now for two games as two upfront strikers they know how to find each other saka really fits in with them and as a lot of people have noticed burton was really tidy uh never paid him any heed in the under 23s and whatever uh and i can see why now You, you get so little highlights and he's not a highlights guy, but man, he's really tidy, he spins, moves the ball on quickly. So I hope to see him a bit more through preseason, too. To see, you know, he, he's more, I'd much prefer to see him on the pitch than El Neni. And, uh, you know, Willock should get every minute El Neni ever had uh, and some more, too, this season. So maybe, maybe there's a little spot for Burton in there, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know how this goes. Some yeah. youngsters pop off the screen in preseason and are never heard from again. And I think with guys mm-hmm. like Burden and, and even John Jules, who I, I think looks good, just given the number of slots that are available in the first team, mm-hmm. odds are you're not going to see them. You're just not going to see him. They're not going to be there. With a player like Willick, you see a guy who is ready, will be in the first team. There's no doubt. In fact, one thing you can always tell you guys, when the opposition starts kicking you to pieces, you know you got a player on your hands. And they took some nasty shots at him. Um, yeah. And just couldn't get him to the ground. So they started hacking him down a couple of times because Bayern are a pack of cunts, as we say. Um, uh, some people are going to say we've given a rough, uh, an easy ride to Maitland Niles on this pod a little bit. I think we're just going to move off of it. There, you know, you could kill the kid for the game he had. I think any of us would agree. It wasn't a good game defensively. I think playing against a fresh leg, King, Kingsley Coleman, in the second half, there aren't a lot of fullbacks that would have done well against him, period. And Maitland Niles is still learning the position. Serge Nabry. Again, a player who looked uh, very good embarrassed our our uh, fullbacks on the other side as well. But I just don't think that warrants any further analysis, especially because Serge Nabry cries inside. Um, Tim, we should move on to the to the statement. I I think you know we've saved it because there there was bigger breaking news. But this is certainly the news of the moment at the club. Is the sort of open disagreement, for lack of a, a better way to phrase it, between the fans <laughs> and the ownership. I, I think at this point, there's been enough analysis about the statement. I mean, it is a statement that is very uh, wide-ranging in its topics. It's mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily demand specific relief, but I think it outlines certain concerns at the club effectively. I think what I'm kind of curious about from you is Josh's response, because I think we're all broadly mm-hmm. in, in favor of – making a statement to ownership that we want more. And I don't think any of us would say that what we're trying to do with that statement is spend more money. And I don't think the, the statement comes across as spend more money. But mm. Josh Kroenke did produce a response. Obviously, yeah. most of us are going to say it's just lip service. But let's at least do it, the give it the credit of, of analyzing what he said and whether you think there's any merit to the response, to the comments in the response, or whether it is merely lip service that needs to be completely
3: uh cast aside and and ignored i i'm so personally i i'm very much at the latter end of that um i think arsenal are the world champions of talking and the whole yeah and and you know like, this isn't a communications vacuum. Raul Sanyehi and I gave um, an interview at the end of last season on the website that supports Q&A next week that, you know, the club aren't uncommunicative. The, the thing is, nobody believes them um, because they can't communicate the truth, which is, yes, Arsenal is an investment vehicle. That is all it is to the people that own it. And there's there's, you know, there's only so many times we can hear words you know are you familiar with that english expression like don't piss on my back and tell me it's raining that's kind of i would say it's fairly self-explanatory <laughs> <laughs> i can i can understand but it from context it's, <laughs> it's, well yeah yeah it's, it's, I, I just I, I i don't know if that exists in america but um it's going it's, to it's, now it's, i tell you that much <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's one of my favorite english idioms and, it, and now, it's really there's,
4: an, there's actually an american equivalent which is don't piss in the mouth and then kick me in the balls and tell, him, tell me I'm having a good time.
1: That doesn't okay. exist, Tim. Don't, don't fall for that, <laughs> that one.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so, yeah, so personally, I'm on a, like, I didn't really want a statement um, from Arsenal. I, I think we're forever locked into this dance, right, because um, the ownership doesn't care. That's the truth. They're riding out the TV money. They're waiting for the Super League money, and they're not, well, they're not ambitious on a sporting level at all, not even 1%. They do not care about that, not, not at all. It's not important. Where do you to, think we feel
1: the effects and, of that the most, though? If it's and, not in terms of
3: financially, where do you think we're
1: feeling the impact of that?
3: So where we're feeling the impact of it, and this is where I will come on to Josh's statement, because he talks about some things as if like there's circumstances that have been foisted upon KSE. Like, yeah, everyone knows we've got um, a Champions League wage bill on a Europa League budget. And it's like, whose fucking fault is that? You know, (laughs) like who, who, like who is responsible for that, Josh? That's you and your dad, isn't it? And the reason you're responsible for it is, yes, you um, appoint this highly paid executive team to look after that stuff for you, but you keep getting it wrong. You keep making bad decisions about the people you give or sorry, you you let um, people who are underperforming spend that money, um, which is not your money. Um, it's not KSE's money. It's our money. It's money fans generate um the club will say self-generated that means fan generated um by the way and and you let underperformers spend that money badly and the reason for that is because you're completely disengaged from what happens at the club so you just allowed it to go on for too long because you weren't paying attention so that's your fault so there's that part of it um I, I kinda I get what he means about there has been a lot of change recently. Again, the reason there's been a lot of change is because they keep getting things wrong and making bad decisions, um, which is why there's so, so much even more upheaval than there was than there needed to be post-Venger. And that, that whole thing was far more painful because we held on for far too long. Um but the but the thing that stuck out most to me was that the statement very, very specifically refers to the Super League. Um, And Josh didn't reference that. And we all know why he didn't reference that because KSE are absolutely in favor. And not only are they in favor, probably one of the biggest reasons they bought the club. It was because they could see this coming and they want Arsenal in the Super League where there's no promotion, no relegation, even less reason to try and compete. And, Um, you know just keep taking the cash and the fact that he didn't reference that was very very telling now it didn't tell us anything we didn't already know the the fan statement the response to it this none of this is new this is the dance that's been going on for years this is the fans going my god tell us something that makes us hopeful and then arsenal say something and then we go we don't believe you and we're right not to believe them and Really, there's there's a sense, um, I think, personally, of, of kind of getting real and going with the truth here, which is that as long as Arsenal are under KSC, this is how it is. We've got owners that are disengaged and just don't care. And as fans, probably a lot of us have got a decision to make about how we feel about that and how we interact with that on a long-term basis, whether you know we put up and shut up or whether we just go, do you know what, this isn't for me anymore. And obviously that's an incredibly complex, nuanced, painful decision to make. But to me, that's where it's all heading. Do you...
1: So this is a tough question to ask because while I agree with you that a European Super League is a terrible idea and I hope it doesn't come to pass, and I tend to agree that it probably will come to pass and that the Cronkies are probably very much in favor of it, would you support Arsenal abstaining from entering it if yeah. it came to pass? And, and that meant that yeah. no more United, no, no more Chelsea, no more potentially Spurs, no more Liverpool, You know that, that you're playing uh, West Ham and West Brom every week and that the, the yeah. big games are happening without you
3: yeah yeah personally i would i now look i understand the reasons why a lot of people won't agree i understand the reasons why arsenal wouldn't do that and i understand that that's still not a good scenario that um that you know the best scenario is that it doesn't happen but if it does happen i personally on my own individual level yeah absolutely because um because that's just what I get out of supporting Arsenal. Um, it sounds really cliched and all of that, but I really am one of those people who wouldn't enjoy it any less if we were in League Two. I, I, I don't honestly, right? I don't care about watching Manchester City and watching Liverpool and going, oh my God, look at all these great players. I, I don't care about that. That is, that's just for me. That is not what I get out of it. For me, it's much more. Um, you know ever since I've been interacting with football I've been going I've been going in the stadiums that that's what I get out of it that's what's important to me so where you know the division in which Arsenal play or their opposition is just not that important to me I understand why it's important to other people and I'm not trying to you know convince people that that my way is better or to try and convince them to change their minds but that's how I personally interact with it i I don't really care who we're playing or or anything like that i i want like i want the competition i want the competition to be good and i want to be able to interact with it the way i always have if, um, you know, I've I've wrestled with the dilemma for many years about what is my personal breaking point, well, the European Super League is absolutely my breaking point. I wouldn't interact with that at all. And that's um, that's probably because the decision would be taken out of my hands. There's just no way I'd be able to go to a European away game every week. Um, and at that point, I would just fall away. I wouldn't interact with it. So it wouldn't even be 100% just like a total moral objection. It's just... I literally cannot interact with this. This and and this is not for me. And again, I'm not. I'm not trying to garner sympathy when I say that because th- no, there's it's a very good personal. argument.
1: It's very personal.
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 you know, there's a good argument to say why shouldn't like um, supporters in America and Thailand and Vietnam and India why shouldn't they get competitive football because you know that that's that's the way the game's gone and you know like it, it's it's not a you know i'm I, i'm this isn't like a woe, woe is me thing i I think there are good arguments to bring um you know obviously the reasons that it's being done are are not uh, should we say moral, but they're not you know, altruistic. They're not because they care yeah, about the yeah. global fan base. Exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, they didn't build the Emirates stadium, which is in Islington, which is very easy for me to get to. That wasn't built for altruistic reasons. It's named after an airline, you know, that, that wasn't done for me, um, per se. No, It was so, done so we could compete with clubs like Bayern. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, which, which we've done. So what we all commission But, but yeah, so like, I I would stop interacting with it and I would expect that Arsenal would almost expect, well, would expect me to stop interacting with it. It would be taken away from, from me and people like me and moved around the world. And like I say, there, there are probably good arguments for that, but um, that, that would be taken out of my hands and I, I would, I personally stop interacting with it.
1: Yeah. And that's totally fair. Look, I'll, I'll say it this way as someone who watches from a great distance, obviously what I like to watch is competitive football. But ask any Arsenal fan who went to see Arsenal in Colorado play Rapids B, basically, if the game wasn't fun for them because it was Rapids B. They loved it. They had a fucking blast. Seeing Arsenal in the flesh, being mm. at the stadium, having a drink, sharing a laugh with friends, same for the people that now, granted, Bayern Munich is more of a blockbuster tie, but it's it's ICC, it's preseason. They would have had a blast there. I mean, so yeah. if, you know, when you go to the stadium, you realize that that is just a different experience. And it's not always just about the football it's about the total experience. Yep. When you're watching at home or in a pub, it is about the entertainment, first and foremost. You know, and yeah, the camaraderie yeah. to some extent. So yeah, those are different reasons to be concerned with the club and to involve yourself with it. And so I can understand why you would draw that conclusion. But Clive, I guess, look, it is there's absolutely nothing wrong with fans voicing their displeasure at the direction of the club. We can all debate whether the direction of the club is due to ownership or other factors. I think Stan is certainly an absentee owner. We know that he doesn't care. Josh has sort of said, I'm running the club now. I mean, in the in the interviews that he gave after the statement he put out, he said, I'm the one running the club. It's not Stan. It's me. You know, we do it together is sort of what he said, but the message was pretty clear that he's the guy in charge now. I don't know that that's any better. I mean, what do we know about Josh that makes him any more interested or better? He shows up to training in a Rams shirt. Now, again, substantively, that's not important, but it just – shows a total naivete and and lack of appreciation for the optics which is a a good corporate word there so as a corporate man yourself clive let me ask you this what is fair or reasonable for the fans to expect to change as a result of the the protest that's happening that's continuing to happen and does it matter if there's any change or does it just matter that the voices of the fans are unified in in showing their displeasure with what's happening in their club
2: yeah there's someone to buy off here right so I'll try my best to uh, contextualize so first forty
1: minutes that's it
2: okay firstly um I thought the, the the strap line and the sentiment of the 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 soft protest because this is a this is just a statement a read around accountability. I thought it was wonderfully put I, I really did I thought a lot of thought has gone into that I think it captures quite cleverly. What people's issues are with the Cronkies. They 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 don't trust them. They don't trust them because they don't feel we we feel they don't feel about the club like we do, and we would generally like that. So that statement and that strapline was perfect to highlight the gap, right? And I thought. That was really good and also the people involved i think the people involved were, were cleverly selected i know there are others that could have been involved but it, it, it was cleverly selected and there's a level of respect that they garner and i think that that prompted a response, which I also think was quite positive, right? So it's good that the club are interacting. It's good that the club are being transparent. It's good that the club is going through change. And some of that change, I think, because it's happened in a haphazard way, I don't think we, you know, if you write it all down, I think we think, you know, generally, we're, we're quite pleased with that. But what's our currency for success? Our currency for success for me is how we operate as a club and, you know, I'm always talking about operational excellence and how we operate and our decision-based strategy. And our decisions and how we operate has been pretty amateur over the last few years. And as Tim alluded to earlier, I think that's impacted, uh, impacted our brand significantly. And again, one of my phrases, Elliot, I know I bore you with it, but being the employer of choice, right? This is exactly what we talk about being the brand where people want to be, and some of the decisions that have been taken, some of the lack of accountability and governance around the club, around decisions that have been taken, have led to a a sort of a malaise, particularly financially, which is so wasteful, we're about to post a loss. I mean, that is criminal. That is criminal wastage, criminal inefficiency. It's just not. It is not befitting of a club of our size and stature, of our global fan base and history, and so now we're we're going through a period of change. And funny enough, I, I I see some green green uh, shoots of hope. And it actually took an agent this week, Kia Dyrabshin, to come out of a statement to sort of say, "At last, I've sort of got some football people in there. I feel for them. They've, they've joined the club in a difficult time. They need more support." I thought, yeah, there are some good football people in the club now. We can't judge them yet because they're they're about to be judged in the next few weeks or how they renew the playing staff in particular and how they progress going forward. But I can look at it now and say, okay, this is what we wanted a year ago. We've got a new set of people in charge now. I'm a little bit more hopeful that some of the change could be solidified. So if you are looking at it from afar without knowing the distrust of the Cronkies historically, some of that you can explain away by the fact of the duality of ownership. They were sitting on their hands, waiting to freeze the other guy out. Now they're in charge for last, was it 18, no, a year? Not quite a kind of year. This is their first summer. So I'm sitting there thinking, go on then, let's see what you've got. And I think this protest really has captured that perfectly and said, we really care, do you, now show us. Stop talking, now show us now the the issue is now what are the next steps, and what is what does success look like? what is that currency and this is the danger where the danger comes in that the currency for most football fans, come on, we're just football people. We want to see a good team. The currency is seeing good players on the pitch. And then it can be cheapened by the fact that we just want to see transfers. And I hope that's not the case because I feel they've tried hard not to make that be the case. And I hope he's not diluted in that way. But I do like the fact there could be a little bit more, you know what, we're having a good look. Please, please care. Please think about the opportunity to show ambition. Don't just sit on your hands watching your investment increase. Do some things to expand the club, grow the club, grow the commercial revenues. Think about the infrastructure that we have. Think about growing that infrastructure on. Think about doing things in the ground. Think about changing parts of the ground. Think about things that people really care about that show that you care. And it's not just buying a 65 million pound Wilfred Sahar. And so I really like the sentiment. Of course, people are people they'll always criticize. My my view is I don't care. I'm glad there are people that care, that want to do something like this. I'm the sort of guy that I'll get a bad steak, I won't send it back, I'll try and eat it, right? That's just me, right? So I'm pretty cool about these things, right? Weirdly, so, I um, just sort of eat it and not complain, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, that's, and, I, and I'm that sort of guy, right? So which Which means I mustn't, I mustn't um, people who feel violently this way and this is their priority and this is part of their football journey. I always try to support them through these things because that's their, that's their experience. Right, I have another experience, and I do other things, and I care about other things. And I, and much like what Tim just said, I don't expect you to follow my experience. And this podcast is part of that, right? So, um, and so yeah, I, I really like the sentiment, and I think the next steps now are going to be interesting. But I'm I'm a fan, right? So I believe that everything's is going to be better. Every year, I think we're going to make eight signings. And when 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 it comes to the end of the window i'm severely disappointed i'm smarter than that but i still believe it i still believe you're going to get four or five more signings coming that's the way it goes that is where i don't care i don't want to change i'm a fan and i always think it's going to be better right so i'm hoping that the ownership realize yeah, come on guys do your work you are if you are custodians don't just say it think about opportunity think about growth and I'm, let's see how the transfers go. Let's think about the short-term, long-term, medium-term projection. we still got rubbish to clear out. we still got legacy to clear out. And what happened with our captain recently, I think, say, something from the old regime that's hanging around, people's behaviours were set from previous years, and now they don't feel quite as um, quite the same. So we've still got some pain to go through, but I'm, I'm hopeful that the change is leading to a more positive operational model, and hopefully to a better perception.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I mean, you can say, what difference can this make? But I will say this. If it just refocuses the Cronkies, even for a minute, on Arsenal and say, you know what? These fans are really upset, and we have to stem the tide and do some PR work here, and if that means that they start focusing on the club and they realize, oh shit, you know what? There's some really bad shit happening here that we need to get sorted out. We need to get some smarter people in there. We need to get the right people in there. Maybe that does make a difference, because... Yeah. You know, if there's one thing that you look at, there's been a lot of organiza- organizational chaos at Arsenal, and that's probably because the people who own it aren't focused on it and have let that happen. I I thought Tim quite brilliantly in, in his article, Tim, you know, just talking about how Ivan Gazidis could probably call Kroenke up and be like, I'm doing a brilliant job. Yep, I'm doing great, boss. Just keep sending those bonus checks. And Kroenke would have no idea that he wasn't telling the truth. So, you know, I, I mean, I would say that overall it is a good thing to have ownership focused on a club they own. And if this even just focuses them on Arsenal a little bit, then by and large it's good. Personally, I have a job, sort of, so to speak, a little bit. I have a child, I have another one on the way, I have a wife, I have responsibilities that I shirk almost constantly, but I have them. And so Arsenal is supposed to be that thing that is enjoyable, that I can dive into the nitty-gritty of tactics and players and the fixture list and the results, and I can get outraged about things. Um, I just almost only have so much bandwidth for that. And so it is hard sometimes for me to devote that bandwidth to ownership issues and protesting that. But you know what? I'm glad there are people that do, um, and I support it. And I think you know the, this is a reminder of why Arsenal at some level is a local club, because it's people in the community protecting what's in their community and I, I fully respect that and I think that it can sometimes be viewed as a tension between local fans and global fans but ultimately every fan is benefited by ownership being forced to pay more attention to the club we all love so I think it's great uh, Paul I'll give you a final say on this are you you know by and large supportive of this action a believer that it will help and if so you know what are some ways that you think this can produce a positive outcome
4: yeah um Look, I thought the petition was very good. I think these things are very hard, right? Just sit down and try and craft what you think a protest is that people can get behind that doesn't do more harm than good. It's very hard. Um, So I thought a a soft protest, if you want to call it that, um, was the right idea. And it flexes our muscles a little bit. Um, I think it will have done some good with the crankies. Not a lot. But as, mu- as much w- as was able to do, you can. we could have done more and had a more defensive reaction. Um, so like you said, I think it may have woken them up if they were worried about other spinning plates. They came back to check how this was spinning. They're not going to do a huge amount for us. But it might be enough that they make sure they see that when a decision at the end of this window comes, will we push the boat out a little bit to get this player and get this the season back on track we've got to be enough of a headache being no headache to the crankies is not doing us any favor um being being militant and tearing the club apart and i think even with this soft protest you can start to see divisions people said it's great to see everybody united i don't know about your timelines but it wasn't that united it doesn't take much for the fans to start turning on each other too so it's a very difficult balance i think we got as much out of it as we could i think it'll have a little bit of a positive impact maybe not a huge amount i think the cranky on the one hand i kind of think well what did we expect josh to really say on the other hand as tim points out what he did say say is still pretty telling i mean the goalposts are where they are for the crankies. They're they're not going to move them, but they they could want to reduce their headaches substantially with with the Arsenal club, with management, with uh, the problems coming from the squad, uh, with the supporters by having a it can't hurt them to have a successful operation that's doing well footballistically. And, you know, maybe they'll just put a little extra mustard on it. And it was good. I think it was good in large part for the fans. We got as much out of it as we could at this point. The hard part would be if we said, all right, well that, that went well. Now let's go to phase two. That's where you'll find nobody actually agrees with anybody as to what we should do next. And that's because there's no easy answers.
1: It's one thing to want the manager out. It's another thing to want the owner out. Um, yeah. Stan Kroenke was willing to move a team out of St. Louis to L.A. Uh, amid death death threats and lawsuits. So I don't think you're going to chase the owner away. Um, I don't know that there. I don't know what a great owner looks like. You know, that's the other problem. What does a great owner look like? I don't yeah. think we want the the oil model. You know, I don't think we want a chic. I mean, some people would say, "Fine, give me all the money that you can." You know, uh, and you know, give me give let the club be a um, an inla- you know a way to enhance the soft power of a nation I I don't think we all want that um you know you could say FSG because they're doing a nice job with Liverpool right now but I mean yeah. in theory and, and
4: they are a good model for KSE well, and showing I was them up say, a little bit they're in, very in, similar in theory
1: you know the question yeah. was, I wanted someone to ask Josh Kroenke because he he gave an audience to some people I want someone to ask Josh why do you think that your model fails where the Fenway Sports Group, which is another American ownership model that's similar in its self-sustaining principles and similar in its in its structure, is successful. And see what they would identify as that issue. But there's they
4: did ask him, but but more vaguely. It was very clear they were talking about FSG, and he totally he did not like that and dodged it. Now they didn't mention the letters FSG, but it was clearly FSG. And yeah, they like, don't like each other.
1: I, for the record, I, yeah.
4: Well, it, it didn't look good. Um, and he's like, we need to focus on ourselves. It was quite quite defensive. Well
1: and, and, and you know what's an interesting point too guys I look we do a podcast twice a week about Arsenal. We all write for Arsenal whether it's through Twitter or through blogs or through uh, the website the athletic that you may have heard of but like <laughs> but, but the fact is we engage with this so much that we know the rot has set in. I know it may sound silly, but this statement, this petition, this protest, Maybe the first time the Cronkies were even made aware that anyone was that upset. I know it sounds silly, but when you're not paying attention, it's easy for these things to slip by the wayside. You may think, eh, you know, we're on a little slump. We're in the Europa League. But hey, we got to the Europa League final. We were close to top four. I bet the fans are fine. Maybe this is a wake-up call. Maybe that's me being a Pollyanna but it certainly can't hurt. I don't think we need to go any further. We're 90 minutes in on a preseason game, a transfer for a player we're not even going to get, and a petition for a, an owner we're all stuck with. Uh, is everybody fine leaving it there?
4: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
3: Leave it on a cheerful point. Yeah.
1: Knock it on the head. <laughs> leave, it, leave them wanting more or less or never listening again. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Pause. <laughs> we'll do uh, our Patreon transfer roundup next week. We'll obviously do some stuff on the Fiorentina game. We'll continue to uh, try to do things that are enjoyable, provided that the club give us things that are uh, capable of being enjoyed. That is all we can commit to. My name's Elliot Smith, can block on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Scott. Scott Willis went to the game, got to ask Unai Emery a question, and spoke so fast in delivering the question that Unai Emery couldn't understand him. But it was a good question he asked about Maitland-Niles. Uh, you, you can look at that video. We posted it on Patreon. I'm not going to post it widely because, you know, Scott, Scott Scott's a great guy, and we love him. We don't embarrass him, even though we just did. All right, you know what? We're going to take a little break here. We're going we're gonna to wrap up the pod. We'll come back to you next week with more. We hope you uh, are enjoying the preseason and the fact that we have a new player. All good things, everybody. We'll end it on a positive note, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Fiorentina
2: Nils.